My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our show will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined on today's show by Russell Dalglish, a serial entrepreneur, investor and global network builder. Uh, Russell is the founder and managing partner of full-service business advisory practice, Exalta Capital Partners, and also co-founder of the Scottish Business Network. Uh, Russell, very warm welcome to you and thanks for joining us on the show. It's a pleasure having you with us. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Uh, likewise, Russell, great to have you alongside me. Now, I've provided the uh, the listeners here that might not be familiar with you with a little bit of a background as to what it is that you do. But uh, just to kind of set the scene a bit more for them, um, what is it that you would say that Exalter and also the Scottish Business Network are kind of aimed at doing, those organisations that you're working with right now? I, I suppose in in general terms, what I tend to do is to work with I focus my network's experience and expertise on fast-growing businesses within the UK. And we have a speciality in those businesses who are looking to grow internationally. So that that's where we fit in. We have a like Scottish Business Network. has got a network of about 11,000 people across the globe, representation in 248 of the top 250 companies in the States. So we've got that kind of network in place. Um, our partnership program allows us to have experts and then they share their experience with uh, the various different companies that we help and work with. I also um, I also do a little bit of work on the government side where I sit on the board of trade with the Scottish government mm. and I'm a member of the um, Department of International Trade's Global Entrepreneur Program as well. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. Sounds really interesting. And um, I, I guess what I'd like to get an idea of as well is just going way back. Did you know quite early on in your career that, you know, entrepreneurship and going into sort of leadership, if you will, for yourself was going to be the way forward for you? Great question. So uh, I'm coming up to 59. So when I started my working career, I don't think we had entrepreneurs. Well, at least I didn't use the term anyway. Mm. So I went to, I was brought up in a small Scottish village, was the first generation to go into further education and studied uh, computing at college. And I went on and then got a job in a bank. And uh, my, my career kind of uh, continued like that. But I, I suppose I started to, to listen to my heart and what I wanted to do. And I, I kind of, I, I was five years in working at the bank and I was fastest promoted, promoted young person or something they'd hired because I'd worked there as a student. And they sat me down one day and said, um, did I want to be, I, they were really pleased with me. How would I take my career forward? Did I want to be a technologist or did I want to be a banker? And I sat down and thought about it and thought, well, I don't really want to do either of those. So I resigned. Um, so I suppose that showed a little bit of that entrepreneur risk taker. And I started to build a career in, um, uh, in, in leadership and what I do now based on this passion I have for international development. There's just such an incredible opportunity in our world today to do international business. We've never been more connected. And, that, and that's kind of where I decided to place myself. Yeah, sounds fascinating. And uh, with regards to the sort of opportunities that are out there at the moment, considering sort of the difficult economic climate that we're in, um, what are some of the kind of businesses and networks that you're sort of working with on that international basis? So, so just to come to the first part of what you said there just now about the, the difficult economic conditions. Mm. So um, when I was, how old would I have been? 12 or 13? 
It would have been the mid-70s. Mm. And, uh, you know, I can remember doing my homework by candlelight because we didn't have um, electricity was switched off from the national grid for three evenings a week. So when we talk about difficult economic conditions, when you look at some of the recessions and some of the other challenges we've come through, mm. we're kind of are where we are at the moment. And I wouldn't describe them as, I wouldn't underestimate them. I just wouldn't use them as, as difficult. I'd just say they're different. Mm. And we're having to adjust and cope with this. And, and once they settle down, we as entrepreneurs and business leaders will see how to, how to take advantage and how to fit in. But the problem is that we have a large part of our population who are seeing a fundamental right that they have in the UK around about um, access to electricity and gas mm. is just ex- accelerating in price unbelievably. And then to bring that under control, we're having to borrow money or make necessary adjustments on the back of what we've done for COVID. So I think these are going to have quite significant changes. I think the other thing, though, is that, um, I don't know about you, but I'm still waiting to hear what the upside is of Brexit. So mm. uh, all of these things happening have created an adjustment. But what they will also create inevitably is opportunity as well. And then we as business people are looking how to how to take advantage and how to fit in. But the reason I start with that is I, I'm doing quite a lot of work at the moment out of Ukraine, whereby we're working with technology companies in the Ukraine who are looking to relocate. And they're a great example of people who view the UK very highly and want to come here. And what we've got to remember is that there are entrepreneurs and business leaders right across the globe who I ask with an envious eye and say, well, if you're going to grow a business internationally, the UK is a great place to be. Mm. So we've got to sort of, I think, package it in that way. Um, I think it's necessary. We've gone through a period, I think, from about 2009 to maybe 2019, where our our economic world in particular was incredibly stable. No, we had very low interest rates. The planning process for businesses was straightforward. We had the full effects of the technology revolution happening on what our, our primary industry, our service-based economy. So we were able to take advantage of all that. And then what we've seen now is going back to maybe what we saw quite a lot in the past, which was change. And then how we deal and process that change while continuing to keep an eye on our, our vision for our businesses. So I, I, would, I would urge everyone not to be, not to be too negative. You know, we, we will come through this, but it will require imagination, creativity and collaboration. It certainly will. And we even saw that during COVID, didn't we, over the last couple of years? I mean, we saw businesses pivoting and adapting at essentially an unprecedented scale. And it's really sort of accelerated that digital revolution, hasn't it? So I think it's fair to say that we've come through so many different challenges before and there's no reason why we essentially can't come through another. Okay, correct. And I, I would never... And underestimate the effects that we're going to witness this winter um, and the effects they're going to have on all members of our society. But we've also got to say the fact that, look, we're, we're entrepreneurs, we're business leaders. What are we going to do? I was at a um, Scottish Business Network um, drinks reception we did on, on Wednesday night in Belgravia, and I was talking to a gentleman there who runs a, um, a cleaning company. So he employs people that go into companies to, to clean the companies. Uh, floors, desks, etc., and they've doubled in size. And they've doubled in size because they adjusted to the way their market changed. So the market changed with the fact that suddenly everything fell off a cliff because people weren't going into the office, so there was no reason to clean them. But then quite quickly what happened after this was there was a huge interest in cleaning, 
And suddenly cleaning the office and making it safe and secure was way more important than before. And it's really interesting seeing that that, that is a, in a microcosm is this idea about how we have to adjust or what we cunningly call pivot now. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And I suppose as well, we've also kind of learned the value more of networking during the uh, the last couple of years, haven't we? Because f- for the first time, I mean, we were seeing sort of big competitors in Big Pharma, for instance, you know, trading intellectual property in the quest to try and get a working vaccine together. There were business leaders talking to each other who might be in competition about sort of, you know, how is the storm affecting them, sharing information, sharing ideas of how they were dealing with it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of value um, when, you know, there are times of change in sort of networking, building your connections and being willing to, let's say, sort of learn from other people and their experiences, especially if you're one that's starting out. Yeah, so so two points on that one. So I, I think if I look at um, pharma and oil and gas sector, for example, yeah. in the UK, that those are two sectors that are rife with collaboration right across the supply chain. Because the, because the level of investment that's required to develop the new drugs or to explore new fields, that has, can only be done through organizations collaborating. So I spent a lot of time in Aberdeen in the oil and gas industry, and you would see sometimes you'd be bidding against someone in a competitive environment, and sometimes you'd be collaborating. But you all knew each other. So that kind of network between, I think particularly pharma, maybe finance, but definitely oil and gas as well, we've always seen that kind of collaboration coming through. I think the subject of networking is really interesting. So I've, I, I, I know, or my reputation is that I am a superb networker, superb at um, building connections and growing communities. But actually, I've never been someone who's enjoyed what we used to call networking events. Mm-hmm. You know, going along to a, a room full of strangers or people are, are switching business cards, I never really felt comfortable there. But what I discovered around about 2017 was using platforms like LinkedIn, I could identify the people I actually wanted to talk to, and I could contact them. So initially, we were doing those calls by Skype, et cetera, and then it moved on to Zoom and Teams. And then what happened in 2020, come April, the whole world cottoned onto this world, and suddenly the level of communication and the level of collaboration, the level of opening up new opportunities globally just accelerated. We've got to remember, there was never a better time to be, if you like, cold calling people than in, than in late 2020, because everybody was at home. So it was a, it was a great time to build those, those networks. And, and I, I tend to think of them much more now as communities rather than networks. So it's very much around about people with a, a common interest or something that pulls them together uh, culturally or sector-wise, that they have a common interest in something to discuss. So my interest was in um, supporting and promoting Scotland so, and through the business community. So we've grown this enormous um, business network around the world. But it's a community because we all have this kind of deep down inside, we've got this common link with our relationship with the brand at Scotland. Mm. And I've also seen the same thing happen with organizations like Global Entrepreneurship Network out of Washington, where they do a fantastic job at linking together entrepreneurs around the world do things like their, their startup huddle program. So we see these common interests. And, and to me, it's a move for community from being, you know, the community of my childhood, which was I was brought up in a town of 5,000 people where everyone knew everyone else. And my family had been there for over 400 years. Now, that, that was a, a, what we call a tight community. But my community today is global, is global and across the planet. 
but I still have those same types of relationships and sort of close relationships with those individuals. Which is amazing, isn't it? Because you've essentially established a real community across the globe. And no matter how far away anybody is, I mean, you can still, of course, just leverage the community to essentially grow your own brand, can't you? And business leaders really need to be sitting up and taking notice of the opportunities that, you know, that video technology and uh, everything, how far everything's come, the opportunities that can throw up for their business. Well, and and it's really interesting. I think it's it's further than video. I think it's the entire um, what digital gives us. Mm. And I think what we're going to see is this. There's a number of different drivers for community. So one of them was the uh, the changes we saw, the the slow changes that came through around about protection of individuals' data. Mm -hmm. So we stopped all just being an an email on someone's million-line email list. And they could only hold our email if we allowed them to. And we said, that's my information. So that started to create barriers and blocks from having completely open access to everyone. And then we see things like LinkedIn, whereby you grow a community and someone being a member of your community is identified by the fact your first connections on the platform. And what I started to do was I use um, LinkedIn as my own newspaper. Mm. So I publish a story or two each day. I have lots of articles written by other people. And then that then drives engagement with this community. And it's just, and, and you're right as well to highlight brand because I think it's all about the brand is the way to encapsulate the vision and mission of the organization so that everyone can get behind it. And they're all clear on what you're doing and what you're trying to make happen. The other part within these communities or networks is how you initiate action. So building a community is one thing. But it's got to, to actually to get that community to deliver on its purpose, there's got to be activity. Things have got to be happening. Now, traditionally, we would describe that activity as things like events. But actually, it's not the event that's important. It's the output. And the output is created by connecting people to do something. And the way that we've seen that work best is to create something called the ask. So that whenever two people get together, they're very clear on, what your ask is. So my ask from this call would be, for example, if anyone's listening into this this broadcast and they've got some link with Scottish and they're involved in the business community, then reach out and become part of this this, um, Scottish diaspora we have across the world. So I've got a very clear ask. Now, if we were just at a networking event having a general conversation, I might forget to mention that ask. But that's the ask. And it's done in such a way that you then understand what it was I said. And then if you hear someone in the next year with my accent, you might well go, oh, have you heard of Russell? He's got this organization. You should maybe look at it. Mm. And that's the way that we trigger the referrals as well. It's really, it's been really interesting understanding it all, but starting with this definition of what you're asking. And as you say, I mean, just at a networking event, that isn't necessarily the easiest thing to convey, is it? Because when you're talking perhaps to just one person at a time, sort of broadcasting the the ask is um, a lot more difficult, isn't it, when you're just speaking to individual people in one go, whereas here, for instance, on a platform like this, you know, you're going to get that out there. Everyone that's listening into it is going to be able to understand. And again, you can leverage social media and uh, the technology and the digital we have at our disposal to, again, do um, do it in a similar way. And and I think what we've got to do as well is we've got to understand, and I would urge every, every company to think about this, your market's now global. There's very few people who, who, who are going to build 
huge successful companies, they're not going to have to consider the global aspects of what they're doing, whether it's servicing clients, building partnerships, or hiring staff from around the world. And let's face it, today you might be hiring someone from around the world and they may stay in their own country to work with you. So we've got to start considering this international perspective, including things like culture and language. Um, I, I did a piece recently in um, Tallinn in Estonia where we went to study what, what has made the Estonian model such a success. And it's, it's really interesting in the fact that there's like a mantra in Estonia, which is build a company global first. And I've had that repeated to me in, in the UK as well. Companies will say, no, no, we're global first. And I'll go, well, I've looked at your website and it's all in English. You only accept payments in pounds. So how is it, how is it, how do you reflect that on being global? And it's really interesting because what the Estonians said was that they felt a bit sorry for, for, for tech companies in Britain because it's so easy for a British tech company to sell to, you know, the sixth biggest economy in the world. That you actually get your company, you establish it, you start to grow it. You're then winning clients within the UK. But when then you decide to then go international, you've then got that localization headache. Whereas what the Estonian companies are doing is they're building global from the very start. So it's really interesting to think about that on this international footprint we have today. And do you think that maybe that kind of home first mentality, even if we don't think that's what we're doing, is partially why businesses here may struggle a little bit with export um but if, at the same time i mean in the uh, the current um, climate that we're in i mean we've seen so many news headlines about the pound tanking because of the uh, the mini budget for instance there might be more opportunities therefore for export given the uh, the climate that we that, that we're in so this is something we need to be thinking about i think it's quite interesting i remember oh, years ago there was that the pound crashed against the dollar and it, it made it so, so the, the change in the relationship between the dollar and the pound at that stage made it um, much cheaper for people in America to buy British products. And uh, there was a guy we knew who was in the fishing sector. And what he'd done was, so he, he was based in New England. He watched the currency change happen. He then started to buy incredibly expensive fishing reels out of manufacturers in Scotland. And he said, it was a great idea, Russell, because I bought all these and I was getting a 15% discount based on the way the currency had changed. And what he said to me was he was really amazed that British companies weren't putting up things on their website saying, if you're an American customer, it's going to be 15% cheaper. And he felt it was because British companies were just a little bit slow to realize about these international implications on a currency change, for example. So again, it comes back to that thinking internationally. It certainly does. And I suppose uh, there's there might be sort of a lack of awareness here um, as well on our part. And sometimes I think as well, we um, we sometimes have a tendency in Britain to be a little bit risk averse, don't we, I think. And we I think we all we shy away from setbacks at times. And that's also something that perhaps holds us back somewhat. Um, what are your sort of thoughts on that? I'm not sure. So I'm 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 in a bit of a um, an echo chamber because most of the people I that that are close to me or are in the communities that I have tend to be driving high growth businesses. I suppose mm. they, would, they would be what you would describe as as risk takers. Mm. You know, it's so so I kind of I don't quite see that that full visibility. What I do see is um, 
a, 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 a lack of study of where there could be market. So someone said to me that um, to grow an entrepreneurial business, you have to dominate your home market first. And I said, no, actually you want to dominate the market where most of your customers are, irrespective of where they are in the world. Because it's, it's so easy to get about, so easy to travel, so easy to communicate, so easy to identify people. You know, if you, if you, you, were, you know, if I was trying to find them, um, I don't know what it was, conserves like jam and, and marmalade. You know, where's the best market for that? I can pull a report off Google in two minutes. Mm. I can then get the, from that report and get a list of the target companies. And I can go on LinkedIn to find the chief execs of those companies, wherever they are in the world. And then I can, I can message them all. So that is just so powerful. So, and, and I think the change we're seeing is it's, it's sort of exemplified through marketing. Where when, when I was many, many decades ago, you would look at marketing, you were building out personas or prospective customers. But now you can just go and see the customers. So I was, I was playing on the website CEO email the other day, you know, and it lists the, the email address of every chief exec in the world. Hmm. That's amazingly powerful to have that. You have to have clarity of your ask and, you know, be able to write a logical email to those individuals to ask for help. But um, the information's all there. It's amazing just what's at our fingertips, isn't it? And I think we do need to be able to, you know, sort of harness that um, ability to uh, to do what we can do uh, to build our businesses um, a lot better than we do. And uh, one of the reasons why I sort of said that maybe we are sort of a little bit sort of risk averse in this country is uh, certainly at the uh, the policy level. It just cast my mind back to a, a discussion I had on this program um, a few weeks ago. And um, somebody, um, a particular business leader, I won't name names, uh, spoke to me about uh, some of the programs that uh, the gov- at the government level that goes into sort of supporting businesses. And he spoke to me about how it seems very sort of short termist, one to three year intensive support. And then we don't really see the longer term legacy programs. So we get innovations and we get business off the ground, but we don't give it the soft touch longer term support that it needs. Perhaps because, you know, there's a little bit of a um, an adversity there, a little bit of a fear of like, oh, is this going to well, to really take off? Is this going to fail when it hits the scale-up phase? And so there are a lot of businesses out there that have a great amount of potential when it comes to the scale-up, getting past the 10 million, as it were. It becomes difficult, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And uh, that's something that perhaps that in this country we certainly need to look at and we also certainly need to change. So, so a couple of things. Um, we've got a political system where a government is elected at a minimum every five years. So you'd have to assume that planning is going to fit within those windows. Mm. Um, the, the other one is try comparing it with the rest of the world. So when you look at you know institutions that we have, like Innovate UK, the, the, the level of funding available from Innovate UK to, um, to, to help companies to innovate, We've all started to come up with new products and new services. The incredible investment market we have, particularly in London, these are the envy of the world. We also look at um, you know, the role of government. So I always remember the Ronald Reagan quote, which was um, an American friend told me this. He said that the quote was, um, the worst thing a business could ever hear was someone phoning up going, hello, I'm the government, can I help you? Because... And that those American companies I was talking with, they wanted the freedom to operate with minimum intervention from government. Mm. So, 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 so the government plays a part, and and we as business people have to react to the changes that the, the, the government makes. You know, and and sometimes it can be in our favour, and sometimes it can be against us. 
But it's just kind of, it, 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 to my mind, it's just like a given. Whereas it's the, the opportunities then exist outside that. So I, I think we are an incredibly exciting, innovative centre. All the reports seem to indicate that for the UK economy in comparison to other economies. Um, I think our business leaders are incredibly brave. Mm. I think we should be very proud of what they achieve. I think the politicians are the politicians and things will come and go. You know, you know we, 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 we look at furlough. So furlough, I don't know how many jobs furlough must have saved and how many businesses were able to trade through COVID because of that. But we'd have to say that was a positive endorsement of our political leaders doing something to help. And we would all have, well, I had a very strong assumption that when furlough ended, we would see escalating unemployment. We didn't. So, you know, you know we can criticise the politicians, but sometimes they get it right as well. I mean, not a good example at the moment. But, I, I, no, I, I, I think we have wonderful business leaders in the UK who are the envy of the world who are doing fantastic things. I think sometimes what we do, though, is we stay within our own echo chamber and we, we just compare ourselves with other people within the UK. You know, I, you know I, I've, I've um, delivered leadership training in Dubai to people from Syria or people from the Lebanon or people from some African states. And I remember doing, doing it with people from Iraq years ago. Mm. And they were telling me how difficult it was to trade in Iraq. And I'd assumed it was difficult to trade because of the violence. And they said, no, 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 no. We can handle the violence. It's the fraud. You know, the fact that you might do something, raise an invoice, and someone decides not to pay you. Well, that doesn't, in the UK, you get paid. Exactly right. Um, I can see why there's a lot of risk in going and trading in other markets um, abroad, particularly those that are volatile, such as the ones that we've talked about. But the UK mm-hmm. is a great place to do business, and we are in a unique position where you know, we can start to look outwardly. I mean, we hear a lot about sort of global Britain post-Brexit, and I think it is time yep. that you know yep. we really need to start kind of you know living up to uh, that sort of that, that ambition, let's say. But do you not think that's happening? Mm. I can see business being outward looking, but I think sometimes mm-hmm. they need a little bit of help to do it. And I think from certainly from a policy perspective, I think that's certainly where maybe we could do things a little bit better. But those business leaders that are, you know, the trailblazers, I think they're going mm-hmm. out there and they're doing it very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I've discovered, though, is that there's just such support out there as well. You know, through the, the work we've done with Scottish Business Network, we've mm. got individuals in 72 countries or something who put their hand up and said, you know, if you're a Scottish business looking to export, give me a call and I'll try and see if I can help. So the assets are there. They are, exactly. And it's how we essentially use those assets moving forward. And there's plenty for us to offer here in the uh, in the UK. And uh, I suppose in the future, I mean, uh, the Prime Minister, again, um, call it a pipe dream or call it realistic. But um, one ambition that she has is for the UK to eventually be a, a net energy exporter. So, again, uh-huh. there's this sort of vast potential in so many different sectors here. There is. And... Um, you know, you know, we can sometimes look on the negative. So if you look mm. at the last um, 40 years of the British economy, why well, we've had some benefit from the oil fields in the North Sea. Those oil fields might not have been there. The way the Earth's crust had formed might have decided, no, no, we're not going to put oil fields there. We're going to put them somewhere else. Not, not only were the oil fields there, but we were able to put together a system to encourage at that stage American companies to come over to help us exploit those. Now, 
we've just come back off the back of COP26 last year. So we've now got this huge opportunity as well to take a leadership role in, in clean tech and, and renewable energy. So, so these are opportunities for us and environment to go and make those things happen. I think I, I think something I would say that the government did well was the the the, the, the levelling up agenda. Mm. You know, by pushing money into different parts of the UK outside London as well. I think some some similar in the, the Midlands and some on the coast have benefited hugely from that. And there's that dynamism there as well. I think that's incredible. Sorry, I'm sounding yeah. terribly positive. <laughs> no, I, 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 it's, it's right. I think the, the positivity is infectious, and I think we do need a little bit of a dose of it, certainly at the moment. But I think you are very right. I mean, it's like uh, leveling up is so so important in that respect because it's it's unlocking the potential of every area of the country. Because let's be perfectly honest, certainly when we're talking about energy, we're not going to be building wind farms in central London, are we? So it's certainly in terms of a sector such as that, there's an immense amount of potential all across this country, and I suppose it's about sort of making sure that we unlock that potential in the right way we channel investment where it's needed we create the employment that's needed because let's be honest i mean in the environment that we're in that's essentially exactly what this country needs i think it's going to be the continual thing that we've always seen since the industrial revolution which is all about education mm. so it's about you know if you think originally why did we have schools so why were schools funded by businesses you know because that was the employees that were going to come in to actually run their run their machinery. So I think we still have to be continually thinking about this, about are we are we delivering the best and most appropriate training to our young people so that they can excel in the in the um, the world of the future. And the problem we've got is you're never very sure what the world of the future is going to look like. So you have to have generalist skills as well as specific skills. Mm. But I think we probably need more of an engagement, I think, from the uh, the business community with the education side. We've seen huge, you know, if I look at technology companies in Scotland, they've seen huge success through the um, um, apprenticeship schemes for people going to university, whereby the, uh, the students have spent a, a day or so a week or, or time working with the company themselves right through the time they're at university. And I've spoken to um, top, really successful technology firms in Scotland who have said that, um, you know, they've got young people who are up a standard of the ones you would hire in Seattle. Because they've had the best, they've had this very strong education linked with the fact they've been spending time on the ground in an office where people are building some of the leading technology platforms of the future. And that's key, isn't it? We talk an awful lot about how government needs to intervene on skills and create, you know, the courses of the future, etc. However, Mm industry itself always has a part to play as well and if industry can you know extend its hand and you know offer some of these opportunities in a way that's of course cost effective for them i mean it can have such a massive impact and you know skills given the uh, the shortages we have in some key industries at the moment that's obviously a massive thing that we need to be thinking about as well yeah so i i, I met with a company called Lupsio in glasgow a startup um a startup um, last week, an event called Digital DNA. Now, what they've got is they're working with undergraduate software developers in Glasgow, and they're finding them assignments to do, projects to do while they're studying. Now, at the moment, those first and second years are working in places like Tesco's or retail or hotel environments in order to make a little bit of extra money while they're students. So is it much more sensible to start looking at that as another um, way to find our employees of the future. So I think I just think I think it's the whole thing with business all the time. We just have to be continually being creative and imaginative to come up with new solutions. Mm. 
we absolutely do and that will continue from now right the way through to the future whenever we face you know the next economic issue that might be around the corner obviously or the next, yeah. e- or the next economic opportunity exactly right exactly right and uh, that was uh, that funnily enough Russell, that's exactly what i was about to say as well because one of the key things that we've seen in sort of every recession that's uh, that's come about is the fact that you know some of the most successful businesses tend to spring out of times of you know economic hardship economic downturn and i think that's down to you know that entrepreneurial spirit that we see here in the UK certainly but also around the world as well and we really need to you know harness that cash in on that and use that to drive us forward I, I, I think opportunity is there all the time mm. um, I think it's about a, a mindset to be looking for the opportunity rather than looking for the challenge I, I spent several years working out of um, Silicon Valley and I was always stunned there about the positivity and people looking for opportunity and automatically assuming that idea would work, the business would grow, they would find that next customer. And I think sometimes in the UK, we kind of lost that a little bit, and we have to go back to that, to remember, if we keep we keep working hard at it, we keep on listening to the market, we keep on adjusting to where the opportunities are, we can win. And, and we have such an environment for doing this in the UK. You look at that, that early stage investment environment that comes through the EIS, SEIS schemes. Those are world leading. Why, why on earth wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? We look at the R&D tax credits that we've set up to support companies doing innovation. Now, those are all positives, but wonderful universities, incredible research centres, and great examples of companies winning internationally. But yes, it's going to be tough. But as you say, that's going to have challenges, but also opportunities. Exactly right. And part of seizing on that opportunity sort of goes back to that element of risk that we've covered already, doesn't it? Because, you know, it's ultimately going to boil down to trial and error, like you said about Silicon Valley, go out there, try something, assume it will work. And if it doesn't, you know, back to the drawing board, use use your experience to improve. Exactly right. And uh, just for anybody tuning into this particular podcast who, you know, is interested in the uh, the work that uh, we've been talking about uh, today, um, you can visit Russell's website. That's uh, russelldalgleish.com, isn't it? And you also have um, a Scottish Business Network website. Is it sbn.org? Is it, Russell? Sbn.scott. Sbn.scott. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's easiest to find me on LinkedIn. So that, that's the easiest way. Fantastic. And um, yeah, certainly do go and check that out um, for anybody tuning in who may resonate with anything that we have discussed today or may have certainly links to Scotland as well. Uh, And um, I have to admit, um, if you um, are somebody who, you know, you may feel you have your own sort of take on the uh, the discussion that we've had today and you wish to bring your own perspective to the table, um, you can leave a comment with us via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. Or as well as that, you can apply to be on the programme yourself via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply which would be absolutely fantastic and it'd be great to have you potentially alongside us on the show next. Um, looking ahead to the future, however, uh, Russell, just before we wrap things up, because I'm conscious that we're starting to, uh, to run short of time on the programme, we talked a lot about sort of how we've got to the point where we are and we've talked about the situation that we're in. But as we look ahead to the next 12 months, um, what would you really like to see from business moving forward and where do you see yourself indeed by this time next year? Um. Well, I think there's one thing we've learned in the last five years is it's very difficult to predict the future. Um, um, my, my hope is, I'm not sure actually, I, I think it's about, we're going to have to think about surviving. So we're going to have to think about companies having the necessary 
capital flowing through to ensure the business is going to survive. I think once you've got that in place and you're sure about your finances, it's then to be looking at the opportunities. And I think if you can do that, you're probably in a good position. For myself, it's going to be about, um, we've got a, a major growth plan for Scottish Business Network, our Scottish diaspora around the world. So we're rolling out a new platform to support that growth. Get tens of thousands of Scots around the world all on the same platform, helping each other and helping um, uh, companies from Scotland. I'm also planning on doing quite a lot of work in the diaspora area. You know, we're, we're seeing a, a huge rise in the movement of capital around the world through people you know, wanting to invest back in their original home country. And I think, um, I, I, I think trying to find some positivity in the UK as well. You know, that um, yes, it's a tough time and mm. it gets fanned by the press as well. But I think we're going to have to try and, we're going to have to recognize the fact that for most people in the world, most people on our planet would rather be here. Now, the fact that most people on our planet would like to be in the UK must be recognize something. There must be reasons. And we're probably taking those reasons for granted. And we've probably got to recognize them and be thankful we're here. I think that's very, very right. I think we need to really remember that. And no matter how bad things sort of might seem in the here and now, there's always an opportunity. And that positive thinking, I think, is something that we could all sort of really use a dose of moving forward. And to any young entrepreneur tuning into this, looking at the market environment and thinking, is now really the best time to start my business or to really go about building my business? Go and do it. Take the plunge and try something. And, you know, if you do suffer that setback, you know, learn from it, win or learn. Absolutely. Uh, Russell, it's been absolutely fantastic having you join us on the uh, the show today. And um, I have to say, I found it incredibly enlightening um, just hearing um, everything that you've had to uh, to share with us. And I'd really relish as well the opportunity to welcome you back onto the programme in future, you know, when we see the situation changing and we see exactly just how business is excelling in this, uh, this climate that we're in. Delighted to do that. Take care now. Um, myself, yourself as well, Russell. Uh, do take care and do enjoy the rest of your week. And I do hope that everybody tuning into the programme thoroughly enjoyed hearing from serial entrepreneur, investor, and global network builder Russell Dalglish from Exalta Capital and the Scottish Business Network. Um, as always, I've been your host, Scott Challoner, on today's episode of the Leaders Council podcast. And until next time, do take care all and goodbye.